This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join our Friday guests. It's Trader Nick in the United States and Oanda, Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, Johnny. So I should say, as we are talking, we're actually um, watching a bit of Jerome Powell speaking in this fireside chat. Uh, Nick, I think you're across what he said so far. How are the markets reacting? Well, as we kicked off today, very early New York session, got to the desk and the dollar was trading up. And now it's given back at the time of recording this, of course, a lot of those gains. And that would perhaps suggest that some of the commentary from Jerome Powell, the market is a little eased by it. And that would probably be accurate why the dollar is down and stock indices are up. One thing to point out here is that Jerome Powell, I've got a quote here so far. Of course, as you mentioned, we are recording this quite literally while his first speech is going on and he's set to speak again later today. So we are kind of early to the overall points, but here's what I've got that I picked out from the speech so far. So on November 1st, he had a a quote at the end of his press conference where he said, the stance of policy is restrictive. Today, he has a quote here that I've got pulled up where it says, the strong actions we have taken have moved our policy rate well into restrictive territory. Those are two different quotes saying kind of the same thing. It sounds like the first one, the stance of policy is restrictive, sounds like um, we're doing what we can to get this done. And the second one sounds a little bit more like We've done some restrictive policy and, and speaking in uh, in historical fashion, right? Looking back and saying, well, we've done a lot. And so that I think has the market a little bit excited so far. Of course, it is early in his commentary and he did point out, you know, core CPI is still well above expectations, all of the same things that we've said. 500 times on the podcast since this whole rate hike stuff began. But I think what markets are really looking for in these speeches um, from Jerome Powell or from uh, Fed officials across uh, across the um, committee is looking for easing in the the commentary. And Jerome Powell, he was in a lighthearted mood as he took the stage here today. Um, you know, Jerome Powell, he's a, he's a soft-spoken older gentleman and, uh, you know, he usually is pretty monotone in his speech. So he was kind of uh, it, it just a different tone there, I think, that markets picked up on pretty quick. And also pointed out that the labor market is very, very healthy. He even pointed out that it's a great time to go out there and you know get a job. I'm paraphrasing there. But um, again, overall, markets are liking what they're seeing here today. The S&P 500 is up. A lot of the currencies against the dollar are doing quite well. It perhaps would suggest a, just a little bit uh, of markets getting what they have wanted out of this commentary that he has today. Uh, They've been looking for further confirmation that is Jerome Powell and the committee, of course, actually becoming more dovish. Is that is that solid, or is they going are they going to push back on recent market moves and say, you know, we're definitely not out of the clear? Of course, they're always going to say something in there about, you know, we're not where we want to be. They're not going to straight up say rate cuts. Uh, he did, in fact, actually push back a little bit, but pointed to some of the successes and calling what has been done, um, you know, sufficiently restrictive. Again, paraphrasing uh, is really important to note in terms of the the change in narrative. And again, I think we're seeing markets react to that so far. 
So Craig, that's what I've gotten so far out of what Jerome Powell has to say. Is there anything I missed or anything that you're picking up on that you think markets could be reacting to right now? Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing with these is always that people pay a lot of attention to the detail and the Fed knows that they pay a lot of attention to the detail. So they often pick their words very specifically in order to try and send a message without going over the top. And I do think there is elements to what he said that's designed to send a very clear message to the market. And the one sentence that I really picked up on was they said that he's prepared to tighten further if it becomes appropriate. And that, that's a big shift. If you think that three months ago when they released their last forecast, they had another rate hike actually penned in uh, into their forecasts and into, into the dot plot. To go from that in the space of three months to saying if it becomes appropriate suggests that they no longer believe it is appropriate as a committee. Uh, and on top of that, they're saying that at a time when bond yields are coming down. He's when he started this press conference, markets were pricing in a rate cut in May, and he still feels comfortable enough to say if it becomes appropriate. So he's happy to send this dovish message, uh, even with markets pricing in a rate cut in in May. So that suggests that they, there has been a bit of a change of heart there. This pivot they were talking about could come as early as December. Uh, and that's obviously that's in two weeks time, the meeting. So I think this these comments, while nuanced, uh, uh, they're, they're quite powerful. And I think you can see that impact that it's having on the dollar, as you say. And while he's been talking, markets have actually brought forward their expectations for that rate hike from May to April. Now, at this point in time, it's around 60% priced in and the models are not always perfect as the event is happening. But it suggests that markets are going, do you know what? We think the ECB could move in March, April time. We think the Bank of Canada could move in March, April time. And now we think the Federal Reserve could move March or April time. So all of a sudden, we've gone from central banks pushing back against any rate cuts next year to end the first quarter, start a second, looking very, very likely, and central bankers not pushing back. Uh, and also, in the last half hour or so, we've also heard from uh, Goolsby, who another policymaker on the Fed, and he said a couple of things which are interesting as well. He said, we're on track to 2% inflation, and inflation is coming down exactly as we want. Uh, a lot of inflation progress is also coming from supply shocks, uh, suggesting that the easing up of supply shocks, lower delivery times, uh, therefore uh, the impact it has on inventories, the impact it has on costs uh, is also contributed to inflation. And also there's no evidence we've stalled at 3% inflation. Now, when you compare that with the language we've had previously uh, and the language which we've used before as well, which is it's going to be a lot harder to get from four to two than it was to get from eight to four, no evidence we've stalled at 3% inflation at a time, uh, literally at the time just before when Powell is making these comments. It does seem that we've got a shift, maybe not a full pivot yet, but we may get a pivot in two weeks' time on the basis of what we've heard today. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, Craig. And I think uh, definitely some clear, although slight, some clear distinctions in the words selected with uh, what we're hearing from uh, Jerome Powell at this time. I also do want to just make a quick nod in terms of economic data coming down. Uh, we did have uh, PMI numbers this morning show some cooling as well. Um, and I still think that we are for now, probably until the end of the year, um, seeing cooling in the economy as still a positive. And again, you add that, that on to what we heard from Jerome Powell. I mean, here you have a story where uh, economic data is cooling, inflation is cooling, and um, you know maybe we just leave 2024 to 2024 in terms of at what point does bad news become actually bad news. Uh, but I don't think we're quite there. I think that, again, as, as Jerome Powell points out, we're still uh, above average or above targets, but you continue to see those numbers come in the way they're coming in. It, it, it Like you're pointing out, that 3% may not be as big of a barrier as 
people previously had thought. So very interesting setup for the end of the year, I think. Okay, let's move on to oil now. And uh, prices have stabilized today. That's after yesterday's uh, falls. And uh, that followed disagreement amongst the countries in OPEC+. Plus. What is happening there, Craig? Well, I think if we start this actually with the understanding that this meeting was meant to take place last Sunday, uh, and instead it got pushed back to yesterday because seemingly they couldn't find agreement. There was three African countries in particular where they were seemingly having difficulties getting them to agree on any cuts. Saudi Arabia was always willing to extend its million barrel a day cut from the end of December into 2024, but it wanted others to pick up some slack too. Firstly, because it didn't think that that was enough uh, to to stop there being uh, a surplus in the markets. But also, I mean, you can imagine its argument, right? I mean, we've got these agreed cuts. We've agreed to go a million barrels a day more and no one else is picking up the slack on their end. You're looking to extend them beyond the end of the year. It's, come on, carry your own weight like come on let's let's keep this even uh, uh, and clearly they've decided that they can't pick up any extra slack so others have to do it instead russia agreed to increase their uh, exports uh, cut from 300,000 to 500,000 saudi arabia agreed to keep it at a million and what was really interesting was in the communique after the event they didn't announce the cut so the cut was uh, effectively announced on the sidelines of the summit, but there was nothing in the communication about how big the cut was going to be. And that was really strange. It's a very unusual event. Normally they announce it in there. They really want to send this powerful message home. And instead it started to drip feed out. You could see it happening in the evening. Individual nations were announcing what their cut was and the people were piecing together what the total uh, cut was going to be. So that doesn't suggest as much agreement or commitment uh, to it either. And it turned out it totaled around 2.2 million barrels a day. Now, that's about 0.9 more than what actually was already happening at this point because of the 1.3 from Russia and Saudi Arabia. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a relatively decent increase. But then Angola comes out shortly after the event and says it has no intention of fulfilling its commitment to these additional cuts. So clearly there's no, uh, there's no compulsion uh, to actually to actually carry it out. So the question now is, well, which other nations are going to do? Which other nations are going to either say the same thing explicitly or are not going to be fully committed to that output cut at all? And then how does Saudi Arabia respond? Again, there was speculation over the course of this week that Saudi Arabia was effectively saying, and again, this is speculation, uh, but it was a, Saudi Arabia was effectively saying to these other nations, either you comply with a cut and you agree to an, a, a cut and start to take a bit of extra slack here otherwise we'll withdraw our million barrels a day and we'll see what happens to the price uh, uh so i mean obviously it does have that sway it's one of the world's largest oil producers but it, it's been really interesting to see the, see the politics uh, that have been occurring around this event and see this friction uh, that's actually started to appear within an alliance where solidarity has been everything over the course of the last couple of years with these output cuts and then on top of that the other weird thing about this event they, they announced that uh, Brazil uh, is looking to join the OPEC alliance in OPEC Plus Alliance in 2024. They did not give a definitive date. They also said that they won't be part of any output cut agreements at this stage. And then it appeared that Brazil had effectively not made up its mind yet. So again, it's a it's a really strange event by their own, uh, by, by, even by their own uh, historical standards, uh, and a group that's looked very aligned and very unified over the last two years all of a sudden looks quite fractured and uncertain. And I think that's what's pushed oil prices lower uh, since the event. And now you've got Brent crude trade at $81 a barrel. 
even though a 2.2 million barrel a day, that's more than 2% of total output cut has been announced. All of a sudden, you could be maybe even see, you're seeing all basically being choppy near its recent lows. It doesn't seem to have really hit home. And then the other question uh, that you've got to ask yourself, and I'll throw this one back to you guys, is what does it say about global demand next year? The fact that they can cut by 2.2 million barrels a day and even if they don't live fully up to that, it's still a substantial cut. I mean, the, and then the markets can kind of go, Meh, it, that's not so bad. That doesn't suggest that people are very optimistic about the economy next year, and especially the Chinese economy, where they are the world's biggest importer. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Whether the, Is this a sign, where, especially when we're talking about the comments we've had earlier from Jerome Powell, right? I mean, all of a sudden, you're seeing this big shift from central bankers. Is everyone suddenly concerned that interest rates have gone too far, that the economy's been pushed to the edge, and we're about to start seeing the knock-on effects of that? Yeah, to answer you, Craig, in terms of uh, global demand for oil, to to add in, you know, you have all of the OPEC kind of politics going on, but then on top of that, to your point about inflation cooling in the U.S., well, uh, the other day when we were on the podcast, you also pointed out uh, that. The you know the German economy may be in for a potential double dip recession, so you have Europe slow down. There's a lot of factors at play here, and I think that you know most likely markets are are forecasting for um, the inflation trend to continue lower, both on uh, demand side as well as um, you know monetary policy. And I think what's interesting too about that, Craig, and not to uh, it's a it's a it's a closely related subject in the commodities world. Of course, gold is trading here just shy, getting close to its all-time high yet again. And, and on our last podcast, we pointed out something, and I want to add to gold here um, while on the topic of commodities. This inflation trend to the downside um, seems to just be good for gold as long as it continues either into the direction of they start looking into rate cuts because they uh, because they can, because things are good, or because they have to, because things are not so good. If bad news does become bad news, that's still good for gold. Craig, we talked about that last time. Uh, a, a disinflationary environment and recession fears, incredibly bullish for gold, historically speaking. Then you look at the other side, well, what if they need to just rate cut because, or they don't need to rate cut, they just can. And so they do that and allow smaller businesses to get better access to money again and uh, relieve some of the you know the, the pressures there. If they do that, that's also potentially good for gold because that just means the dollar stays relatively weaker. You see emerging markets pick up and all these other different factors as well. So to me, I still think gold is a very interesting commodity. And to your point about oil, it's the same things that are very positively bullishly or helping uh, gold to, to be so bullish as it is today uh, seem to be pressures on on uh, on the liquid version of gold, of course, oil. So very interesting time. And it does seem like while we're on the topic of gold uh, and the dollar and everything, it, it uh, seems like it wants to retest those highs. It's very close trading at 20, uh, 2057 an ounce uh, that's quoted in US dollar spot price. And uh, we'll have to watch that close. Okay, guys, very interesting conversation. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.